Welcome to The Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas, and at least one good story. Episode 28, The Home of the Wanted and the Unwanted, Oklahoma, where Jurgen got arrested. What I'm about to say is so strange that I scarcely know how to make my meaning clear. That's what Boethius wrote about being imprisoned. And a beaver, just now, just driving around. Where was the beaver? Uh, I forget what it's called. Summer, summer, saying. Summerfish. The the lake. It's S T. And then S A with a little small O on top. I don't know how to pronounce it. In that direction. Or yeah, 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 over there. Uh, she recommended it as a good campsite. Mm-hmm. I think about for tomorrow night. Mm. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw beavers in that lake? Yeah. Oh, uh, wonderful. So cool. <laughs> I'm so glad. I, I know we usually see beavers in the river, you know? And I, yeah. That's what uh, I sometimes lead little beaver safaris that walk around the river. Oh, uh, nice. Over to a bridge in that direction. And, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. <laughs> we... We failed to find mushrooms. What, what's the technique? <laughs> it's, it's just you, it's walking your, out of your, your mind learns with time where they like to grow, and and it's just basically wandering, you yeah. know, and and looking at the places where you found them before, and empirically it grows more and more. Like okay, this is a spot where I can find that type of mushroom. Yeah. Or this is a clear cut that's two years old. Now I know there's morels here in April. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Ugh, what a life. <laughs> okay, so the, the first question I always ask people is, uh, can you describe yourself, your appearance for the listeners? What do you look like? Are we recording now? Yeah, is that okay? Oh, yeah, yeah no problem. <laughs> um, what do I look like? I'm um, five foot nine, maybe, and I've got graying hair and the in the sideburns, and uh, but usually it's kind of brownish. They call it rat color in Swedish. And then rat color, right? And I and I've got um, <laughs> bluish green eyes, and um, um, I used to be thinner. <laughs> you're you're pretty fit, I'd say. Maybe maybe. Um, and during the day, I wear a, you know, slacks and shirt and a dress shirt because I go to an office. And then I live in this um, paradise uh, the rest of the time. You know. So there's two lives, one in, in culture and nature and one in corporate Sweden. So, wow. <laughs> Would you say you look Swedish? Yeah, 
Yeah, I'd say I look Swedish, but I could also pass for American or maybe Polish or French. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm still trying to get a sense of you know the Swedish look. We're yeah, we're really fresh here, so we still don't have a sense, you know, of how much variety in, in features there is. You know, there's the stereotypical uh, blonde look, but there's a great deal of variety these days. Yeah, to say that as many as high a percentage as uh, 20% of the population these days have either a um, um, they have either a either immigrants or they're born of immigrant parents or they have immigrant heritage. So we've been very accepting of, of um, uh, refugees ever since the 60s you know, and, yeah. and also have welcomed um, great workforce populations when there was a need, you know, yeah, yeah. in industry or in agriculture or in, you know, ever since the, the Germans and Belgians would come here and, and help us with our, with our iron production yeah. in the 1700s. And, you know, so it's, it's traditionally a, a country that's very accepting of, s of strangers. So I think that's nice. It seems pretty smooth. Uh, compared to other places, yeah, uh, integration is is difficult with with large populations coming into you know uh, an existing one, of course. But right, we're pretty well equipped to deal with it, I think. Yeah, but some people are panicking and becoming all racist and <laughs> angry and everywhere in the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no difference. Anything different is scary. Yeah, there comes. This is uh, the sound of the two vehicles, the Musafari people. Oh, we saw Sweden. them. Yeah, yeah. And they're just dropping off the uh, remnants of the uh, food. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You provide the meals for them. Right? Exactly. We, we cater all the all the Musafaris in this area. So, well, that that's a great segue. Where are we? Can you describe? <laughs> we're, uh, we're in the middle of, well, we're in the, at the very tip of, of a municipality called Vestmanland, or it's a county called Vestmanland, in central Sweden, and um, the municipality is called Finskatabari. It's the longest place name in Sweden. Um, <laughs> That's saying something. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. We're about two hours um, west of Stockholm, northwest of Stockholm. Maybe about six-hour drive from Oslo, maybe less, maybe five hours, maybe four. Who knows? So we're in the center of things. And I, I've been dying to ask you, is this really an enchanted forest, mm -hmm. <laughs> as advertised? <laughs> well, it, it is, and it is enchanted because that's how we experienced it when we moved here in 2010 from the Caribbean. We were... If you walk up, up into these woods, the silence and the sheer girth of these trees that are unfortunately are just about to be harvested, we oh. found out. But but there are these huge forests that are that cover these hillsides, and you can wander for hours and pick berries and pick mushrooms and just meditate. I, I found uh, I found ruins in that direction. 
completely overgrown with blue stone, like some walls next to the creek. I'm glad you went there. That's awesome. That's the old, um, that's the old uh, mill buildings oh, and man. the uh, ironworks buildings. And there was a, oh, man. Th there was a whole community over there of industry, and it was. It had its heyday when this school was built in 1884. This was built in 1884? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. It's a massive building. It's huge. 620 square meters. Cat is catching a moth. That's Puffis. Puffis? Puffis is the name of that cat. <laughs> is, that, is that a Swedish name? Or no? It's my girl's name. <laughs> okay, okay. Has. I was going to say. <laughs> I tried to get them to go for something a little bit more. <laughs> and what's this one? Let's see if this one can come in. Come. Uh, so can you describe where we are now? We're in the workshop. Um, the, where all the 150 so windows have been renovated over the last four years. And um, I'm... I've agreed to be part of an art opening, art exhibit that deals with um, uh, solitude, loneliness, segregation, and I have no idea what I'm going to do. But I see these compartments, and I think of I think of the um, that which we talked about earlier. The, 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 People live in alone all over the place. It's, it's such a it's such a transgression away from togetherness and away from family and just sitting there alone with your electronic devices to communi communicate with people. Yeah. So, but I don't know how to incorporate that in a fast and efficient way because this I have to hang <laughs> on someday. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it may be too complex, and I'm thinking, you know, because there'd be carving involved. I'd want to maybe make these and individuals in each place. Yeah, yeah. But they're a little too just blah to be mm. the efficient holder. You know, I'd like to yeah. maybe have a Dremel and make some sort of shapes out of these. But well, like yeah, they're wo wooden dowels. Yeah. They're painted red right now, so, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and is this like a, is this a pilaster design, or how do you describe this? I think it would be, uh, it is a, it's like a spice shelf, maybe, okay. something you'd put in a kitchen uh, above your your stove, mm -hmm. you can, you've got a one, two, three, four, five little compartments, it's white, and it's about uh, 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by, I'd say, a meter and a half long. And you've turned it sideways, and you're going to... Right, the compartments. Oh, yeah, right. Probably be one of these things. Too. It could be like a high rise then. Yeah. You know? Maybe that's what you want to do. It seems like you guys are really communally minded. Like, you wouldn't open your home the way you have, I think, otherwise. I think it's, um,. We, we're not regular Swedes, I would say, but we, we like the lifestyle of um, 
you know, are we're leaning towards the fact that, that corporations aren't needed mm. um, in, in the traditional sense of what we can do with this world. So right now I'm sucking as much as I can out of the corporate world <laughs> and feeding this world and in the next few years I'll retire to take care of this fully and perhaps work as you writing um, and working with creative projects, things like that. I think the things make, that make me happier is going to the office isn't really something that makes me happy. <laughs> um, I'm not that dedicated of a corporate uh, career person. Well, I'm curious to hear your story. You're from America originally, or from here originally? Or? I'm from Sweden originally. But okay. My father was recruited by an American company when I was 10 years old. Okay. And um, that, so we moved to Michigan, lived there about four hours north of Chicago on, yeah. the, on the coast, Grand Haven. Yeah, that area. Looks a little similar. Yeah, close around close. Michigan. Yeah. To there. And um, I. My father died in Michigan, so we had to move back when I was 14. Um, kind of, you know, American family felt very like this was our life. Yeah. So we um, we went back. My sister was so homesick to the states that she only stayed like one year in Sweden until she decided to go on a high school exchange program in the same town where. Um, where we had lived, you know, hoping that life would be the same or whatever. Yeah. But she, I don't know, I, I had the feeling that her experience there wasn't as good as she had hoped. Yeah. But, um, that's, I guess, the way when you try to recreate. Right. But, um, and then I went on a, a university exchange to Chico State in, from Uppsala University, where I went to school here in Sweden. And that's, that feeds into San Francisco after graduation. So all my friends there kind of lured me over to San Francisco yeah. in 96. And then, then I got an internship with the Swedish consulate. Oh, wow. 21st floor of a building. Like first day I was there, we had an earthquake in, the, <laughs> in like a 4.2 <laughs> earthquake in San Jose. And we were like, whoa, the whole thing's swaying. <laughs> I was scared of Swedish youth. <laughs> but and then I got into headhunting there and made lots of friends and lots of contacts through through that world and then I worked in the art world for a while because the, I got laid off when the dot-com boom happened in 2000 mm -hmm. and then um, my girlfriend broke I broke well we broke up because she's like I don't know you anymore because I was just loving this unemployed life. <laughs> and she was very corporate. She still is very corporate. Um, so we broke up, and then a week later we were going to have a party, my friend and I, and I would invite every girl that I saw, including Amy, who was working at Schauplatz on 16th Street in the Mission. I went there um, to get clothing for myself for the party. And... Um, invited her as well and then she came to the party and we and she came with her roommate who was a boy 
And I immediately thought, all right, she's got a guy. That's fine. Great that they came. And um, as I was entertaining these women on the dance floor and dance, you know, uh, I get a tug at the sleeve of my coat, and, I, and it's Amy, and she says, you know, you invited me to this party, so uh, if you want to talk to me, I'll be over here on this couch. And that was it. So, <laughs> and um, I, we've had lots of adventures since. And before we got married, we got married the same year. Um, she said, I just want you to know um, that I'd like to live in a tropical climate so we can pick fruit year-round. And I said, it's a brilliant idea. <laughs> she, she just announced that right. early on. That's an imperative for yeah. her. That's what she needed to have said. And had you considered that in your life? I had. When I was, it was so funny, because when I was uh, uh, coming out of high school, before high school in the Swedish army, I I worked this kind of dead-end job as as an assistant, nurse's assistant, wiping bottoms and brushing dentures and that kind of, you know, hardening work. Yeah. And did tons of research on Barbados and Trinidad and all these islands in the Caribbean that I thought might be fun to go to and just live there, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) But I never had the courage to get into it and go there, and I didn't have the money, (laughs) but I dreamt. Um, But then we went after getting married. uh, We drove across country. That's where we got arrested in Oklahoma. (laughs) We had a tiny bit of weed. We were rationing it, and there was like this little bit. And a cop stopped us. He was a he was a shaved head. Um, it was in the it was eight o'clock at night. It was very dark. He had his badge around his neck. He had a canine T-shirt on and uh, camel pants. He was the atypical bad cop, angry cop. He was. <laughs> You know, he had his hand on his gun the whole time I was oh th- I was talking. He was talking to me. One step out of the car, sir. At that point, I could have protested and said, "Do you have suspicion of anything? Why do I need to step out of the car?" But I, of course, did, and I sat in the took me into the in, into the squad car, and um, there was a dog in the back seat, and the dog made a noise. So I think that was an indicator to him that okay, I'm I smell something. You know, the dog smells something on me. Yeah. Like the, having smoked or something. Um, and then he asked the questions, do you have firearms, do you have alcohol, do you have drugs? Do you have alcohol, do you have firearms, do you have drugs? I said, no, I, I'm, I am going to impound your car and, and search it, uh, but you need to tell me where you have your, your drugs. Yeah. And then he went to Amy and talked to her. She was still sitting in the passenger seat. I left me in the car, in the cop car. <laughs> so bizarre. And then um, wait, what time of day was this? this Eight o'clock at night. Okay. And yeah. We were driving across country to go to Connecticut and spend. And you've been driving like all day. Yeah, yeah. Man. We're just about to, you know, start looking for a motel. And why? Why did he pull you over? Because um, we were, had gotten gas, and as I was coming on the on ramp. His car was parked in with the nose into the roadway, so I gave him a nice little swerve not yeah. to hit him, right? Yeah. And then he followed me, and he said, "You were swerving a lot back there." 
You know, oh my gosh. It was, uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> something done out of uh, courtesy was used against oh, me. So, man. And, and, um, okay, so Amy's in the car and he's talking to her. Right. And, she, you know, she gave it up. She's like, your, your husband says you have, you have drugs. And I hadn't at that point said that oh, we had drugs. Man. But so he coerced her. Man. And, um, and then, you know, we, we handcuffed us. And, and, and uh, uh, we called for backup. Another policeman came and put us in, a, in the back of his car. We got to drive to the police station. Um, <laughs> and we get in there, and this couple, kind of a hippie couple, are storming out of there. They're like, <laughs> you know, and it's like two couple, a couple just like us. Yeah. You yeah. know, we've got same trap. <laughs> anyway, so um, we couldn't pay anything with our own money. We had to be bailed out. Yeah. So luckily we had a friend in, in California um, who had that type of cash that they needed. Either He said, it's either either you pay this fine, if you plead no contests, then you pay the fine, and um, then there won't be a court ruling or anything and you know so and then uh, but you can't pay it someone else has to pay it two thousand that two thousand eight hundred dollars or um 31 days in jail something like that so <laughs> like all right well that's interesting we didn't want to go back there so we certainly didn't plead not guilty yeah um because that would have of course led to that yeah um but we had a tricky immigration case because oh because gosh. of that. You know, oh my gosh. We had to get um, lawyers involved to get the case expunged. Yeah. And um, when we talked to the lawyer in the town where this police officer worked, that lawyer said, oh, the town is under um, investigation with the FBI because of extortion uh, charges. Would you be willing to testify if that happens? I'm like, sure, yeah, go for it. And then... We started working with, okay, what's the officer's name? That's his name. Oh, he shot a man six times claiming it was self-defense or something. So so he's got a bit of a history in this town. And we thought, okay, there's that guy. That was, yeah. that was who, who, who had pulled us over. Um, but we managed to get the case expunged, stricken from the record, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so that it would help our immigration case, which we finally got. And, uh, but the lawyer said, you got to stay in Connecticut, get boring jobs, don't move to Caribbean yet. So we stayed there for two years. Oh my gosh. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. So, so this moment in Oklahoma turned into a two-year detour. You guys were already planning to move to the Caribbean. Yeah. They had to delay it because of that. Yeah. That is... Amazing, yeah. But we, I mean, we had a lot of fun in Connecticut. We did tremendous sure. amount of things. Anyway, that's awesome. I digress. <laughs> so we had we had good times there. But then we moved to the Caribbean. So you you lived in the the Virgin Islands, is that right? That's correct. So what was that like? It was um, it was a great learning experience because um, there was I mean. It's a third world country in a sense, in, in a lot of ways. The 34% yeah. of the population live underneath the, un, under the poverty line. Yeah. So it's, there's a stark difference between 
projects and, and the exclusive East End homes, um, we found a small place that we bought within a week. We'd never been to this island, but we flew down with one-way tickets, and we had sold all our stuff. Yeah. We sent like 13 boxes down with, you know, stuff that we wanted to keep. Um, and there was, there's a, they say it's the home of the wanted and the unwanted. So people go there to hide, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's, there's a crazy group of ex, uh, um, or mainlanders who come there, and also expats from Switzerland, Spain, um, Holland, Ger- a lot of Germans. Met a lot of, you know, and those are the people that we were able to hang out with. Right. We tried a great deal, of, many, many times, to kind of integrate with the local population of, you know, yeah, African, uh, of African heritage from different islands, Trinidad, Antigua, you know, all these islands along the train that would kind of come up to the U.S. Virgin Islands because then they knew that they're in the States. Right. Um, and I actually got my citizenship there and was sworn in uh, as a citizen with seven or eight 85-year-old Trinidadian women. And it was me and them. And we all stood there and, and swore that we would defend our country in, in <laughs> the case of need. You know, like we got small flags <laughs> on a stick, you know? And we saw a video. Uh, I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> you know that song? Yeah, of course. So that was that was experience. What a rite of passage. Yes. We went to get donuts afterwards. It's great. <laughs> or was it before? So that's six years ago when we left. And because uh, we, we renovated, we bought this old house. Or it was kind of new, but it was very run down. It was a virtual highway for rats to get onto the roof. Like wow. This old vine cover. <laughs> came from the ground and up. Amazing. <laughs> so, much, so much sweat to take care of that and, and get, get it in order. But we did, and we um, made a nice profit. And Amy's parents passed away quickly, one after the other. So that generation was no longer left in the States, so yeah. we decided we'll go to Europe. We're yeah. in Sweden. Just as a general desire to be in Europe? Or? And for the kids to become bilingual and, for, and to stop sweating every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, you know. We're both used to this type of climate where there's seasons, so we yeah. we did five years in the Caribbean, and that was awesome. Yeah. I wouldn't change it for the world. And I might go back if I'm, you know, if I'm ever alone. I know Amy won't want to go back, but I might want to just be in that jungle again. It was so primal. Yeah. I don't know. And so, has Sweden? been everything you hoped? Yeah, I, I don't know what I was expecting. I, I knew that for many years I had this kind of um, disinterest in going back because I was kind of st- stubbornly not trying to be Swedish, you know, with my accent and with my ways of being and trying to fit in culturally in all kinds of places. But I think it's good for me to be here. Yeah, do you feel connected? Does it bring something out of you that... It gives me a chance to affect my um, universe around me a little bit, just because I have the knowledge of how you can be in another culture, yeah. and I can implement that into into the Swedishness of things around here, you yeah. know, and just be a little crazy or be a little extra extrovert, 
yeah. uh, maybe what people aren't expecting, and that, that can be an advantage. And it impresses some people and it scares others, and most of the time I get along with people, so yeah, it's yeah. good. <laughs> it's, um, I think Amy, uh, she has embraced it tremendously. She's, she loves mushroom and berry picking maybe about seven or eight times more than I do. Yeah. So she's on a different <laughs> level. Um, she that to that. Yeah. So two more questions and I'll let you finish the project. Thank you for uh, <laughs> multitasking here. Absolutely. I, I, I've stolen more of your attention probably. No, but this is, this is good for me too. Um, so you've kind of already started to answer this, but how do you think all this travel has shaped you or changed you? I mean, this is a lot more than, than most people undertake in their lives. Yeah. Um, it's, it's certainly gotten me used to loneliness because, you know, going into a new place where people have their established connections, where there's a comfort zone for them, most people are a little bit afraid. Mm -hmm. So you can't get away from that, and that's always going to be the case. So going to a new place, you have to continuously reestablish yourself, and you have to be used to the fact that the friendships you create, uh, you know, if if there's a plan to move away from the place, then you know that they're temporary. So um, it inevitably shapes that friendship, then. You can't avoid that. Right, right. There were long periods of time in San Francisco when I thought I would stay there forever. So, hence made such relationships and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. great circles of friends, wonderful, so many different niches that I would run into. Thanks to my job, I have to say. I met so many people through recruiting, yeah. you know. Um, so, um, I miss that s- constant social interaction. Um, although we get it here from... People like you, you right? Know, people, people coming through, through constantly, yeah, which is amazing. The place wouldn't be what it is and have the vibrancy that it has, um, at least that which I feel. <laughs> Definitely know, has uh, vibrancy. Uh, I would agree. So, stuff going on all the time. Um, I love that, and the dinners are busy and people are mm-hmm. talking, and I love seeing my girls interact with with foreign strangers. Yeah, time upon time upon. You know, and, and treating, learning how to deal with people, being social. It's just great. Yeah. You, know, you couldn't ask for a better, better scenario. I wish there were more neighbors with kids. You know, that's the, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Because they're, they're in that age where they want to, they want to be with their own people. They don't want to just hang around when daddy's working this or doing that project or <laughs> digging a freaking root cellar. <laughs> So, so my last question, uh, I'll probably make the Oklahoma story the main story of the episode, but what's your best travel story? <laughs> um, you obviously have tons, I imagine. Well, I think that which we will always remember so, so very well is when... When Amy and I were going to Burning Man from Oakland, where we lived, in my 1972 orange Datsun station wagon <laughs> with like white nylon pinprick fold seats, like Prada seats almost. It was such a nice ride, and we had it full of stuff. We had a t- dome, um, 
scraps of clothing because we we're going to do like a costume design thing. Yeah. So tons and tons of material for, for costume making. And um, so we stop at the last gas, sta gas station before the, the desert, you know, a long drive into the desert. Yeah. Fill it up, drive for a kilometer, the car stops, nothing happens, can't start it. Um, we find out a week and a half, two weeks later, that it was diesel that was put in. And the, there was two unmarked pumps, right? So I put diesel in the gas car. Oh my god. Doesn't work. So we tried for a whole day, standing in the hot sun, Amy in this white sundress. We went looking for spare parts in Reno. I mean, not Reno, but like, I think it was Reno, actually. We had to drive into Reno to look for these spare parts to the car. And, um, you know, sweating, going this and that, and meeting all these people. I remember this one man, he had the smallest teeth. Like, <laughs> they were from deliverance. And he gave us a ride to, uh, to some muffler store, and he had these tiny, tiny teeth and stuff in between them. It was like, and he would smile and laugh and like, I know what your problem is. It's your problem. It's your air filter. <laughs> So I can still do that voice, and my wife will be like, you're that guy. You're that guy back in, whatever, 2001, 2002. Anyway, um, we, we couldn't get this car started, so at the end of the day, we, we pay a woman $100 to borrow her much smaller, tiny little Japanese car. And um, we packed, I'm like, we can't take this, we can't take that. Couldn't take anything to build the dome with, you know, so we brought, we brought some sticks and some fabrics. And, and some bungee cords, and then we built a little structure that we lived in, and luckily there was no rain during this week that we were there, and um, it was it was a blessing, but it was such hard work to try to get this car to start, <laughs> and, um, and there was no help except this, this one young 17-year-old Puerto Rican guy who was down on his luck, and we, were, we got into long conversations with him as we were driving from these towns to towns to <laughs> scrap yards to look for spare parts. We thought it was this or that, you know, carburetor problem. Um, but then eventually we got it, got it fixed. I drove it, I drove it back two weeks later. Wow. Um, it was a tricky, yeah. tricky time. Had a good Burning Man. Experience? Yeah, it was great. It was wonderful. <laughs> we we made costumes for people. So we Amy was yeah. Miss Snips and I was Dr. Lanner, her houseboy. So I walked around in these uh, tiny suede hot pants all week. That was all I wore. And um, right. would you know we'd make costumes for people. People would come to us and be like, I don't know how to be. I, all I have is this to wear, and everyone's so cool and. Can you help me? You know, like, can you help me? <laughs> so we get these people pimped out. It was so much fun. I mean, so you just looked at their essence and tried to bring it out. Yeah, all the, the clothes. Amy knew what yeah. she was doing, and I kind of, I, I threw in ideas here and there. But she was yeah. the boss. You know, she's yeah. she's a costumer from the beginning, so so she had that in her. Yeah. Thank you so much for telling so many great stories. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're welcome. And uh, I always say this at the end too. Thank you for speaking English. <laughs> no problem. <laughs>
What's Kiva? Kiva specializes in microfinance to make small business loans to entrepreneurs in countries all over the world. How did you learn about Kiva? I learned about it when reading Nicholas Kristof's book, A Path Appears. And why do you believe in Kiva? Uh, because I have received my loans back every time. And I think that's the testament to the success of these entrepreneurs and their ideas. What countries have you lent to? Um, I try to lend in countries that I've visited and spent time in. So Myanmar and Guatemala. And where can people find Kiva? At kiva.org. How do you spell Kiva? K-I-V-A dot O-R-G. Thanks, Allison. Thank you to Dana Boulay for our theme music. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.